I know that was a medley, but Lord, I want to know you more. I haven't heard that in years, and that's one of my, used to be one of my absolute favorites. Okay, all right, excuse me. I love that song, all right, from, from Philippians chapter 3. I want to know you more. Jeff, we need to sing that. Let's write that down. Yeah, okay, good, all right. Little instruction from the pulpit to the staff today. All right, thank you, Judy. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the last two verses in the book of Jude. We come to the end of this study, which I thought would be three sermons on Jude, and I think this is number 10 today. So we expanded it a little further, although I, I really feel bad because I, I've got two other friends across the country, one in Alabama, one in California, that's also preaching through Jude. And I talked to Walter in California a uh, day before yesterday, and I said, I'm finishing up Jude this week. He said, really, how many sermons? I said, 10. He said, I haven't gotten past verse 3, and I'm, I'm on my sixth sermon. So I guess I've cheated you guys somewhat, but it, uh, I think it's been a good study as we've looked to it. You know, we, we started out with Jude giving warnings. He said, I really wanted to write to you about our common salvation. I really wanted to, to just talk about what it means to, to be in Christ. I wanted to talk about what it means to be saved by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I wanted to, I wanted to rejoice in glory and, and just revel in the, the truth of all that, that God has done in our common salvation. And I, I would love to read that letter. I, I wish Jude had written another one and had done that because what a glorious thing that must would have been as he would have talked about the commonality of our salvation in Christ. But he said, I, I can't do that because there are, there are false teachers that have crept in unnoticed among you and, and they're having an influence and they're having, a, they're, they're having an effect on your walk with Christ. And so I can't write about just the glory of what we are in Christ and what we have in Christ because I need to warn you. I need to, I need to tell you to be on the, the watch out for these false teachers. There could not be a more contemporary letter in all the Bible than that letter, this letter of Jude. Because in our day, we have false teachers that creep in unnoticed all the time. Sometimes in books, sometimes in television, sometimes in, in radio, and, and any number of ways that, that we let false teachers in, impact us, and we listen to them very undiscerningly. And Judah's saying, I want you to be discerning. I want you to listen for, for what is not in, in line with what the gospel teaches and what Jesus Christ and his apostles have taught. I want you to listen for the subtle distinctions between falsehood and truth. And he goes on and warns them about that. He talks about the angels. He talks about reminding them about the angels and the people who came out of the land of Egypt and Sodom and Gomorrah and all these other things. And then he talks about in verse, we looked at last week, 17 through 23, where he just talked about you know, keeping yourselves in the love of Christ, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Be sure that your focus is right. Be sure that you're looking ahead. I had Brother Scott read that, psalm this morning fairly lengthy psalm for our our, our scripture reading but but psalm 136 because i wanted you to just hear how the psalmist in that passage just sort of carried the whole history of israel 
all the way through, and after every statement about, the, about what God had done, he, he just simply cried out. I, I, if you've ever looked at that psalm, he said, and, and his loving kindness is everlasting. Whether he was slaying kings or parting the Red Sea or leading them in the wilderness and feeding them with manna, the psalmist said in all of those things, God was taking his people and caring for his people and protecting his people and his loving kindness is everlasting. And that's really what Jude is saying in this final benediction or doxology. When you read this, I hope you hear it sort of like you hear when we sing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here below. Praise Him, ye heavenly host. Praise the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I mean, there, there, is a, there is an expression in these last verses of absolute gratitude and absolute praise and absolute glorying in Christ. Matter of fact, I, I titled the sermon, Solo Deo Gloria. You see that all the time if you get the grace notes because that's the way I sign off on my article every week. Solo Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. To God alone be the praise. To God alone be given the glory. And as we sang about this morning, uh, you know, not to us, O Lord, Psalm 115, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be all the glory. And that's what it's all about. We sang that, that song, uh, which one was it? I guess it was all to us, where it says, let the passion of the church be the glory of your name. Let the passion of the church be the glory of your name. May our passion be to glorify God in everything we do. Now, we do that through our living. We do that through our testifying. We do that through our, our witnessing. We do that through our missions. The whole purpose of all those is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and bring glory to God. Right? Exactly. So, so Jude comes in this little book, only 25 verses, no chapter breakups. It's all just one thought, really. But he comes to these last two verses, and I want you to hear it. I, I hope you can hear it with, with an idea of, of what he's saying as he closes this out and, and hear it as exaltation. Hear it as doxology. It's more than just a benediction. And here's what he says. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling... And to make you stand in his presence, in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. Two verses that pack a lot into it. Two verses that are, are filled with with statements about Christ's work and God's grace and, and what He is doing in our lives and, and then a praise to Him in verse 25 that is clear. I, I want you to hear these first things. He said, now, that's a transitional word, after talking about the false teachers, after talk, talking about the false doctrine, after warning them clearly, He says, now, I want you to understand this, now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now to Him, to Christ, to God, who is able to keep you from stumbling. Stumbling into the era of these false teachers. Stumbling into sin. Stumbling into to apostasy. 
Now to him who is able to keep you. I think Jude has the same thing in mind that, that Paul had in Philippians 1.6. When Paul said, For I know that he who began a good work in you will perfect it in, the day of, uh, in that day, in the day of Christ. I know that he who begins something in your life is not going to say, Okay, now, I began it. I hope you can finish it. I got it started. I hope, I hope you've got strength enough in your own willpower to see it all the way through and bring it to fruition. No. Paul said, I'm confident. I know this very thing, that he who began a work in you... Now, you want to be sure that it was he who began the work in you. That it wasn't mom or dad or husband or wife or, or somebody just trying to draw you in because they, they felt like you needed to do something. But, but that it was Christ and His blood that covered your sin and His death on the cross that, that set you free. You, you know, His sacrificial atoning death, his, his substitutionary death in your place. He who began that work in you is going to perfect it. And, and Jude says, now to him that is Christ who is able to keep you from stumbling by his grace. By his grace. I am so grateful that in the Christian life it's not up to me to be faithful. Oh, we're called to faithfulness. Don't get me wrong. And we're to concentrate on being faithful. We're to, we're to desire to be faithful in everything. But I'm thankful to God that it is Him that is working in me and in my life and in you and in your life that gives us even the desire to stay faithful and gives us the strength to remain so. It, it's the same kind of statement that Jesus made when he said, you know, uh, if you are in me, I will certainly not cast you out. And if you are in me, you're in my hand and I'm in my father's hand and no one can snatch you out of my hand. Jude says, I'm confident of this, that if you are in Christ, he will be able to keep you from stumbling. But it's better than that. It's even better than just saying, well, He's not going to let you stumble. He's going to keep you on the path. And, and, and if you do have some struggles along the way, He's going to lift you up. But I like the second part. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. He's leading us by His grace. He is strengthening us. By His power, He is upholding us. His providential care in our life is complete and sure and right in every respect. And He's keeping us from stumbling, but He's also going to make us. He's going to prepare us. He's going to equip us to stand in the presence of His glory. Now, there's two ways to look at that. One is that, if you will, positionally... As a believer, we are standing in His presence. We're standing in the presence of His glory right now. We sense His glory. Only a, only a foretaste of it. Not completely seeing Him in all His glory and all of His righteousness and all His perfection and being made like Him. But there's a sense in which we are standing in the presence of His glory even right now. We are seeing His power. We are experiencing His glory. 
We are walking in His truth. And, and all of that's a part of standing in His glory. And, and Paul even says to the Romans in Romans 8, uh, 29 through 30, that, that those whom He has justified, called, all those things, they, they, them He has also glorified. And it's in a past tense, but it's what's known as the prophetic past tense, which means it hadn't fully happened yet, but it's so certain, it's so sure that we know it's going to happen. And, and he's saying here, he's able to keep you from stumbling, and, and he's going to make you stand in the presence of his glory positionally now, but one day you're going to stand there in absolute awe of that glory. It, it, it's a future thing that we experience a foretaste of now, but it's a future thing that will be perfect at His coming or at our going to be with Him. It'll be a perfect expression of, of His glory, and He says we're going to stand there blameless with great joy. The, the idea of blameless is there is without fault, without sin. Uh, and, and we realize that in this life we still struggle with sin, don't we? We're not sinless. John says in 1 John, if you, if you say you have no sin, he's talking to believers here, says if you say you have no sin, th then you're a liar and you make God a liar. Because God says in this life we still struggle with sin. We'll, we'll still struggle with, I don't want to use the word stumble because Christ keeps us from stumbling, but that doesn't mean keeps us from being sinlessly perfect. We still struggle. But in that day we will stand before him absolutely without fault, without We'll stand there blameless. We'll stand there with no sin. It's that future, future tense expression of our salvation. We have been saved if we're in Christ. There's no doubt about that. We have been saved from the, from the penalty of sin. When Christ died on the cross in our place, as we have trusted Him, He paid for our sin, He paid for that penalty, and that is written off. The, the debt has been canceled, Paul says. And so we, we, we stand in one sense saved from the penalty of sin. And, and we are continually being saved from the power of sin. Uh, in our walk with Christ, that sin ought to have less hold on us today than it had yesterday. It ought to have less hold on us tomorrow than it has today. There is that, it's called sanctification in Scripture. That's, that we are being sanctified, we are being purified, we are walking. And the power of sin ought to be lessening in our life every single day that we live. Oh, one day. <laughs> one day. We're not only going to be saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. And we're going to stand before Him without fault. We're going to stand before Him blameless. And we're going to stand there with, I love the expression here, He doesn't just say it with joy. I mean, joy is a good thing. But He says we're going to stand there with great joy. With great admiration, with great praise, with great exaltation. I mean, we're going to see him as he is completely. Right now we kind of see through the shadows and we see, as, as Paul said, with a, with a mirror dimly. But that day our eyes are going to be cleared up and we're going to see him perfectly. And not just, not just saying, Lord, I, I want to see more, I want to know more. Lord, I want to know you more as, as the offertory song said we're going to know him completely we're going to be in his presence and we will not have sin in our life we will no, no longer struggle with sin and, and even better than that there will be no presence of sin anywhere 
it will be obliterated. And we will stand there with the greatest of joy, with the greatest of praise, with the greatest of worship for all of eternity. Now, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Then he comes, tells us what Christ is going to do. And then he comes to talking about who Christ is and who God is and, and, and what, our, what our hope is in. It's not in ourselves. It's not in our ability to the only God, our Savior. Christ in the New Testament is called Savior about, I think, 37 times. Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our Lord and Savior. I mean, it's, it's, uh, the idea of Christ as Savior is the predominant statement in all of Scripture. But here, Jude says, first of all, I want to say to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I think there's a, a, a very slight distinction there that, that we need to see. Because a lot of times we, we get this false idea that you know God is up there in heaven wanting to condemn everybody and just say, well, you're sinned, you're going to hell, you're out of here, you don't need to depart. And Jesus is there begging, oh, oh, Father, please don't do that. Oh, Father, please save some. Oh, oh Lord, please don't. Do something. Don't, don't condemn them. And we get this idea that God and Jesus are somehow in opposition with one another over the salvation of his people. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our salvation is through Jesus Christ, our Lord. His death on the cross. His hanging there, as we'll talk about tonight in the Lord's Supper, and, and as I always say, I hope you're here tonight, every believer ought to be present for the Lord's Supper is observed. Tonight we observe the Lord's Supper. We'll talk about His body that was hung on that cross, His blood that was shed, the blood of the new covenant that was poured out. It is all through His Son. It's all through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who hung there and who died there in our place. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But folks, don't miss the absolute truth that God the Father planned and purposed our salvation through Christ. It's like what Peter said back in Acts on that day of Pentecost. And, uh, you know, when, when Peter was preaching and, and the people were listening and, and, and Peter pulled no punches whatsoever. And he says, you know, this is, I'm adding this, so I'm having a minute to find it here. He, he said, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene. A man attested to you by God, by God, with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him. In other words, the, 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 the raising of the dead, the feeding of the 5,000, the healing of the sick, the healing of the blind. All those were great signs and wonders that Jesus did, but it was God attesting that this is my son, Peter says. God performed through him in your presence, in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him again 
putting an end to the agony of death since it is impossible for him to be held in its power. Do you see in that when, when Peter is talking at Pentecost about the crucifixion and, the, and, and ultimately the resurrection of Christ that he makes it clear that this is not Jesus just saying, I'll do this myself, but it's God's plan, God's purpose, God's doing through Christ to bring a people to himself. Do you see that? And, and so Jude says, Jude says, to the only God our Savior... Because he planned it, he purposed it, he established it through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is also his son. But he, he brings about our salvation and ties it with the lordship of Christ. And he says, he is our Lord. He is the one we bow before. He is the one who, to whom we are his slaves. He is our master. We are his slaves. He's our Lord. We are his subjects. By the cross. And by his power there. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then listen to this. Be glory. Be glory. What, what, is, what in the world is be glory? Be is not there. In the original text, if you've got a, uh, your Bible probably has that in italics. It's added there for better understanding. It, Jude literally says, To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forevermore. There, there's almost a breathlessness with which Jude is saying this and writing this. It's almost like he's just, he can't say it quick enough and can't say it you know, powerfully enough that he wants to be sure that, that you see it that, that this is an expression, this is a doxology, this is a praise to, to him, to, to God, uh, Christ our Lord, God our Savior, Christ our Lord, glory. The word glory is a word that literally carries with it the idea of presence, expressed presence. Do you remember the, the, the story in the, the, the Psalm 36, uh, Psalm 136 mentioned this, that, that God led the children of Israel out of Egypt? through the wilderness, and, and the scripture tells us that by day there was a cloud, and by night there was a pillar of fire, and, and in the tabernacle on the, on the day of atonement that, that the, the fire would come down and, and seat itself on the, in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant, and they call that the Shekinah glory of God, the revealed glory, the revealed presence of God. And, and what Judah is saying here, may his presence be, be expressed, may, may it be seen, may it be understood through you and me. Through you and me. He's talking about the fact here as we... As his, as his children, as his disciples, as his body, we are to see him as Savior. We're to see Christ as Lord. And we're to acknowledge his glory, acknowledge his presence, and reflect that glory, reflect that presence to the world around us. Glory, majesty. When we think of majesty, we think of the, the, the vision that Isaiah had in Isaiah 6 when he saw the, the, the temple filled with smoke and the foundation shaking. He saw the Lord high and exalted and lifted up and the train of his robe was filling the temple and, and he was majestic. He was kingly there. Majestic carries with the idea of kingliness. 
few few months ago we we watched on television or some of us did i didn't but some of you probably did you watched the wedding of uh prince somebody william was it william okay should remember that that's my name you you watched i'm not prince william but they they married they they got married and, and and, and the TV cameras are going, and there was, there was all this uh, regal uh, expression, and they had robes, they had, had trains on their robes and gowns, and they, they, they had this, uh, all sorts of jewels around, and you, you looked at that, I, I just see some pictures, you looked at that, and you went, wow, that's majestic. Well, humanly speaking, that was pretty majestic. But it's not even close to the majesty of God. It's not even close to the kingliness of God. He is the king, as said in Psalm 136, He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is over all kings, over all lords, over all bosses, over all presidents, over all congresses and parliaments and everything else. He is the majestic one. So to Him be glory and majesty and dominion. Have to be careful here, I know. Bad word in in politics today. I, I even saw some people talking about it on TV the other day that uh, oh these these uh, conservatives are dominionist. They they really want to impose their own morality and impose their own idea. Well, well let me tell you something. There's going to come a day when God's dominion is going to be complete. He will impose His will. He will impose His purpose. He will impose His law. Uh, not going to happen through the U.S. Congress or Supreme Court or presidency. I guarantee you that. But there is coming a day when His dominion, when His rule will be seen. Isn't that what Jesus told us to pray for? In the Sermon on the Mount, in the Lord's Prayer, He said, pray in this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Listen to this. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He rules, He reigns in perfection in heaven. And we're to be praying, Lord, bring your kingdom's expression from heaven to earth. Bring it from up there to down here. May we see your presence. May we see your majesty. May we see your dominion in all the earth. That's to be our prayer. And it's to begin within the body of Christ. See, truth of the matter is, He is to rule here. He is to rule within His body. We're to hear Him and obey Him. Pure and simple. We're not to say, well, maybe I don't want to do what Christ told us to do. That's not an option. We say, well, maybe we want to do something else. I'm sorry, it's not an option. He is to have dominion and majesty and glory at least in His body, at least in His church until the consummation of all time and authority. The authority comes through His Word. The authority comes by His Spirit. The authority comes by His expression of His purpose in His book, in this Bible. I mean, I mean there's this, this praise, this, this worship, this, this glorying in all that He is. And, and I guess maybe He's anticipating somebody saying, well, when's all this going to take place? When's all this to be a reality? Is it, is it coming soon or is it later down the road? Or, and he said, oh, it's before all time. 
before the earth was created, the dominion, the power, the glory, the majesty, the authority, they all existed before all time. Before he ever spoke, let there be light, and there was light. His glory, his authority, his dominion, his power was clear. His majesty was there. It's before all time. But not only that, he says it's before all time, and it's now. It's now. Well, I don't see it. I, I see a lot of squabbling over morals and ethics, and I see a lot of squabbling over the way we do things, and I don't, I don't, see, his, I don't see his majesty and his glory expressed out there in the world anyway. But again, it's to be now among his people. It's to be now among his people. But not only now. Forever. He won't be defeated. He won't lose any of his glory. He won't lose any of his majesty. He won't lose any of his dominion. He won't lose any of his authority. He will reign in, in times past, before all time, now and forever. And then he kind of punctuates that by saying, Amen. It's probably how we ought to punctuate it, you know? Yeah. Amen just means that's right. That is certain. That is complete. That is full. Yeah. He's, going, he's all this and, and he's more. He's all this as far as we can express it. Amen. It's done. It's finished. You see, I think Jude's greatest desire in this book, hear this carefully because this is what I think he wants Grace Baptist to take out of this. Jude's desire in writing this little book is to say, listen, be diligent. Be discerning. Watch out for false teachers. Watch out for those who take the word and twist it and, and, and seek monetary gain out of it and, and seek their own glory out of it. I mean, keep your eyes open carefully. Watch out for that because they're there. They're, 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 they're sliding in among you and they're, they're, trying to, they're trying to deceive you. and lead you. Be diligent. Be discerning on everything you listen to, everything you watch, everything you read. Be discerning. But don't become so internal looking. Don't become so self-absorbed that you're sitting around saying, where are they? You know? I got to find one. I got to get out and find me an, a false teacher. Eh, you don't have to do that. Because your focus ought not be on the false teachers. Your focus ought to be on Christ. Your focus ought to be on God. Your focus ought to be on His glory and His righteousness. It, it's, it's like the old, and I think this is a problem in the church today, but it's, it's like the old story you've heard probably a thousand times. It's an old illustration but it's still a good one. When the Treasury Department uh, prints money, and then they hire agents who go out, Secret Service agents, who uh, go out and look for counterfeit money. It's, it's funny, down in Peru two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, we had, I had some $100 bills we were paying for things with, and I handed them to the exchange person, and they looked at it, and they said, we can't take this one. So. 
Okay, so you have to go to a bank and exchange that. So, okay, I put it back in, didn't think about it. On the last night, we were at, at dinner, and I paid with some money. I gave them another, some $100 bills, and, and, and they looked at it, and, and the waiter looked at all four of them and said, oh, I, I can't take this one. I said, what do you mean you can't take it? He said, well, there's B2 right below the serial number. And I said, yeah. I said, well, I got one of those rejected when I was exchanging money. So, well, all the counterfeiters down here use B2 on their counterfeit money. So this may not be counterfeit, it may be real, but, but we're not going to take the chance, you know. So they look for that and they hand it back. But a, a Secret Service agent who is charged with, with ferreting out the counterfeit money and, and looking for it and everything, they don't, they don't go into a room and say, okay, now, now guys, here's all this counterfeit money. I want you to look at it so you can identify counterfeit money, do they? They say, no, what I want you to do is, is here's a real $100 bill. Here's a real... $50 bill, whatever. And I want you to study this. I want you to focus on it. I want you to know every detail of it. I want you to know the color and the texture and the smell and everything about it. I want you to know this real thing inside out so that when a false one comes along, you'll go, whoa, that's not real. That's what we need in the church. We don't need to be focusing on all the false teachers. Although we could name a bunch of them. But what we need to do is we need to focus on Christ, focus on His Word, focus on His Gospel, focus on His truth. And that way, when we're focusing on Christ and we're knowing the Gospel and we're knowing Christ better, that way, when something false comes along, our alarms will go off and we'll say, Whoa, that's not the Gospel. That's not of Christ. That's not truth. That's error. But in closing here, he's saying, listen... Keep your eyes on Him. He will keep you from stumbling. He will make you stand. He will give you great joy. He is our only God and Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. Glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forevermore. He said, look, focus on Christ and who He is and what He's done and what the truth of the gospel is. Know that. Know it inside and out. Know it, know it frontward and backwards. Know it every way you can know it. You learn every detail about the real gospel, the true gospel, and then when a false teacher starts trying to slide into your life or into your church, you'll say, wait a minute. I don't know where you're getting that. But that's not the gospel. That's not the truth of God's word. That's counterfeit. But our focus, our attention, our learning, our understanding is always to be on the real thing. The true gospel. The word of God. Where's your focus? What are you, what are you desiring to, to know Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. We're grateful for your glory, your majesty, your dominion, your authority. We're grateful for your salvation that's in Christ alone. 
We're grateful for the grace you show us to see us through. We're grateful, Lord, for the truth that what you began in us, you're going to complete. You don't fail. You don't give up. But most of all, we're thankful for the cross of Christ. For him hanging there in our place. For him shedding his blood of the new covenant. That we might know you. And be made right with you. Father, I pray this morning. Pray this morning that your Holy Spirit will move among us and help us see Jesus more clearly. Father, we pray for men and women, young people who are here today that don't know you. We pray that your Holy Spirit will move in their life and open their eyes to see their need for a Savior and their heart to believe in Jesus, the only Savior. We pray for others whom you're working in their life for whatever reason. Lord, deal with them and let them deal with you right where they stand in a few minutes. Father, receive the glory for our time together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.